Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Ralph. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. These evening recordings. I have to warn our audience. I'll be in a much more kind of relaxed. I don't get as excited because I'm not. I'm not on caffeine. I'm like you're not the a... the George Costanza version of you. This is like the um, I don't know the whiskey the Santori whiskey. We live in a society. <laughs> No, I'm not gonna get it. I can't. I can't even get the excitement up that way. So you're just gonna have to deal with my cool, smooth vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder. Do we have stats? Do people listen to our podcasts in the morning, in the evening? What's the mm-hmm. deal? Bedtime. Actually, that's an interesting question. I've never looked at. I don't think SoundCloud shows you like time of day, but you must be able to get it. It must be yeah. possible. Yeah, I I do appreciate that there are things in life you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things when you're in Japan that's very enjoyable that you see all this advertising and you even in the electronics district you have all these people on microphones shouting uh, you know we have an offer yeah. two for one whatever yeah. and you just don't understand and it's very relaxing. It's like, true. Oh, that it's sounds true. funny. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, emergency! Uh, I got to head down to the bunker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sounds, uh, End of the world. <laughs> okay, sounds cute. <laughs> Actually, you know, speaking of which, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics, but it's kind of eerie. Like, you know, the stadium's totally empty. Oh, I haven't seen anything. Yeah. Oh, you got to watch. It's like they've done. It's funny. They've tried to make empty stands look aesthetic. Oh, so, like, interesting. It's not like it's just empty seats. The seats have like um, almost like a pattern to them that's not yeah. a recognizable pattern. It's like a noise pattern. It, it's almost a designer noise yeah, pattern. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to the seats. It's, it's like it's a, worth com- a look. comfortable dithering of seats. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But it, 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 I've seen other approaches where people have digital audiences with, with CG or the, more like a Zoom call, but just... A ton oh, of yeah. people on Zoom and that kind of grid and uh, NBA. The NBA did that during the bubble yeah. last year, and it's really funny. Know, it was funny too because like no one had their camera at the same distance, so you have like huge heads and tiny heads and mm. you know nostrils and things like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cameras <laughs> against the ceiling and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but uh, I think it the it feels really clinical at least at the Olympics. Like it doesn't feel yeah human and like you think of the olympics as supposed to be the celebration of human achievement and then it just feels like it's a hospital or something you know what like i'm i have a lot of admiration for anyone who goes all the way with the talent so athletes of course are amazing i just never understood the fandom of watching someone else play and getting excited I, i just never had the feeling i don't know like i love going to concerts of course but the for me, that's different. But just watching someone ride their bicycle really well, yeah, it's so boring. I don't but know. But that's I, why the that's why the one hundred meter dash remains like the you know kind of most watched event. Ten seconds, mm. right? Everyone yeah, gets yeah, yeah. it. Like it's down to one one hundredth of a second usually. I think the winner. I just I just wish the world was reversed that where people were doing sports as much as people watch sports. Well, I think that I think that is the case. I think a lot of people. Play I don't think so. I think a lot of people watch five hours of sports on the couch every day, and they're not healthy. But I think if you took the world's population, and you you know you looked at like Africa as the fastest growing part of the world. I'm sure a bunch of people there are playing you know mm. soccer. Yeah, I have no stats uh, whatsoever, and I understand if if you're really excited about playing soccer, it's also more fun to watch soccer. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, anyways, yeah. 
Olympics, Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's not yeah. what we wanted to talk today about today. You wanted no. to talk. We, we, we used to do. I, I want to talk yeah. about the state of technology. But before we go there, like the podcast in its its origin story was art, technology, and then kind of business, right? Like yeah. those were the three. Staples. Well, it's it's it was kind of the. You know, when artists see each other, they don't just talk about uh, how to stretch a canvas. Uh, and a lot of people talk about tech, of course, and like how that's changing our world and how it's changing perception. And, you know, artists live in the current world and uh, respond to the current world. So that was the, I think our podcast was just responding to the current world. Yeah. And that's why we ask people for questions. We're still welcoming questions, by the way. Yeah. We have one um, question lined up that we'll do next week. But other than that, uh, we have some space in our queue. So anyone who wants to send a question, please do. You just shattered the mystery. Like we, we had a thousand <laughs> questions that we carried oh, yeah, it down yeah, yeah, to yeah. just two. <laughs> I just lifted the veil. But this uh, uh, this podcast was always about demystification. That's true. There's nothing uh, fancy about it. We have like a little Dropbox that's getting very uh, lonely. Um, yeah. It's new questions. So please send them in. But uh, maybe, you know, it's best to position this as a question well, that, that you had. Yeah. I just I just listened to The Verge. I'm a loyal listener. I think it came out on Friday, but I listened to it today on Sunday. And they sort of went over all the quarterly numbers of the big companies, so Apple, yeah. Facebook, Google, uh, uh, Microsoft. And they were just reading like 50% growth of iPhone sales compared to last year's quarter. Just think about like everyone you know has an iPhone and they sold 50% yeah. more. It's insane. Do you, you want to hear a crazy stat though on that front? Yes, please. You know the iPod business? Yeah. Like iPod as a product, it is a bigger business than Tesla. <laughs> yeah, and 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 uh, AirPods as a product is a bigger business than Netflix. Uh, did I not say AirPods? That's what no, I meant. you said. iPods. Oh, I meant AirPods. Jesus, I'm getting like I'm selling old man. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Air, AirPods is no, like I as know. big a business as Tesla. Yeah, it's crazy. And 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 then uh, Elon Musk tweeted about how the Apple thirty percent cut of the App Store is basically a tax on the internet, and it's. He said it very succinctly, and it's kind of true. Like everyone access the accesses the internet mostly through apps, yep. and then you it's convenient to use Apple Pay and any digital goods that are sold. Apple gets a cut. They develop a credit card. Apple gets oh, a man. cut, oh, and man. and so they're like, no, no, it's it's an app store, just like Nintendo sells games, no problem. And then you start to see it like, oh, yeah, most people do access the Internet through apps. And if they take 30 percent of everything, it's that's quite it's a bit. pretty bad. It's I mean, I've worked in tech for over a decade and specifically I've had a mobile app in the app store, you know, that we cannot make. You know, we, it, we actually can't afford for it to be like a the primary way people use our product. Um, yeah, you have to do it, this weird thing where you're like, hey, you're in our app, but we want you to browse on the web and pay there but we can't but you tell can't, you. you yeah we can't tell you that so you have yeah. to have like a kind of a half experience so yeah oh boy i mean I, anyone really who terrible. listens to, to tech podcasts or read tech news you you probably heard about the lawsuit between apple and epic and epic is this game company and they're saying it's they not make fair. fortnite they make fortnite yeah. yeah and then i saw some argument also so so if we think of apps as the gateway to the internet mm-hmm and then you start thinking, well, physical goods might be 
tied to NFTs and so everything becomes digital like you you buy a computer but it has a certificate and that's the warranty or you buy sneakers and there's a collectible aspect and the NFT is the warranty and then if that has yeah. to go or if you buy Apple, a Tesla if you buy a Tesla you have to yeah. subscribe you subscribe to certain features like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. talking about soon you're going to have to subscribe to your heated seats which i find like a hilarious concept yeah so yeah it's quite a few implications yeah, I mean that's a big topic. So it's art, like it, sorry, it's not art. It's a tech and finance that you're you're kind of starting yeah. to draw a circle around. Yeah, but 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 before we go there, it's just uh, you know I've I've had an incredible year with the NFT thing, and it just felt like I remember saying this stuff in two thousand one. I was like, oh well, people are going to move away from cities because they're all connected. So why be in a city? Yeah. And there's going to be a, t- a class of new collectors that are mobile, that want the digital nomads, and they don't want to have a physical art collection, and they want to collect digital art. And I thought I said that for my own convenience. You know, I, I'm good at computer animation, so I hope people will buy them, whatever. Yeah. But now it kind of feels like, yeah, there is this gigantic class of people who don't like the gallery world, who want to purchase digitally without hassle, and then they want to see data, they want to be able to calculate things, they want uh, price transparency, all that stuff. Uh, you know, and it's kind of becoming real now, but then you see the consequences of gatekeepers, and uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would you'd probably be able to argue or make an argument that those people were already always there, it's just that the experience... You know, didn't exist. The need. No, existed. no, but the 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 need. Uh, well, here, here's an interesting thing, maybe because I just had the on Artblocks. Uh, I sold something, and the Artblocks platform is very popular. And compared to unique NFTs, they're more affordable. They're uh, they're an, an addition, but it's a generative addition. So each uh, unit it's not of like the an addition, algorithm. It, yeah, yeah, but each unit of the edition is different. So it's not like you buy an exact copy. Every copy is unique. Yeah. It turns out there's a huge demand for something in the $200 to $1,000 price range for people to own. And what I find really interesting is that, you know, I've been doing NFTs, much to my surprise, extremely successful and really kind of shocked. Mm -hmm. And there's no overlap between people who collect physical works. And my galleries have sold more work because of the NFT hype, Mm. but there hasn't been the, the, the crypto collectors reaching out to the gallery saying, hey, I really want a tapestry as well to yeah. uh, contribute to my collection or whatever. It, it, it's just yeah. interesting that there's... No, and I think the art world... What I'm trying to say, basically what I'm trying to say is that there's been a lot of digital trends all the time. And people always say, ah, it's a bubble that'll blow over. That's the first response all the time. And I think... Just seeing yeah. these numbers of the tech giants, yeah. that's maybe what I want to talk. And same with yeah, digital yeah. art. People are like, totally. oh, digital art is stupid. It's just for gamers, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and then yeah, and everybody yeah. laughs. It's like, oh, who's going to look at art in the browser? Real art is in the museum. You know what it sounds like to me? Like, who's going to go shopping online? You know? But, and, exactly. And so every yeah. time there's a, a, a digital growth, people go, oh, it's a bubble. Oh, that can't last. Yeah, like you, you can't, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you don't get the same feel, you know, for putting on the pair of pants like you do in a store, even though the store experience is humiliating, right? So exactly. So, so it turns out you just order five pairs of pants and send back four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No problem. And and I then wearing, I was wearing a hoodie today. I was visiting my dad, uh, my parents, and he's like, "Where'd you get that hoodie?" And I was like, 
I don't know, it's like some swag, but I looked at the inside label. I typed in, you know, the name of the company. I ordered him a hoodie like 30 seconds later. He had the same hoodie, yeah. you know. Like, no, it's um, incredible. It's gotten so fast. Mm-hmm. And and it, I, I, I was always of the opinion, let's support the little guy. So I, the best example I can give is uh, Brita filter replacements. You know, I have a water filter, the water in New York, it doesn't taste great. Or maybe it's the pipes in my building. Mm-hmm. So... And, you know, you have to replace it once every every one or two months. It gets slow. You have to replace the cartridge. Good for them. And I go to the neighborhood grocery stores and the neighborhood uh, pharmacies, and I'm like, oh, do you guys have Brita filters? It's like, oh, no, we're sold out. Oh, we only have one or whatever. They have a pack of one. <laughs> and you want to support them. So I, you start walking around, and before you know it, it's another 35 minutes spent. And then you're like, okay, I'll go to Target. And then you go to Target, and you're like, this seems kind of expensive. Let me look on Amazon. And I kid you not, it was five times the price of what it was on Amazon. It's, it's this mm-hmm. weird CVS, and these, these sort of half... Uh, oh, those like Express, tar- Target Yeah, Express. they really yeah. punish people who are not digital. They're like, mm-hmm. you know what? You forgot you to buy it. Fast. Yeah, yeah. Fast. yeah. Mm-hmm. so you know what? We're going to charge... A toothbrush heads for the electric toothbrush. You know, yeah. Five times the price. Like, the wor- yep. It's insane. And it's then, like an airport. The world's like an airport. Yeah. And so <laughs> like, you keep, it, 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 like, bit by bit, this chipping away. And sometimes things are a little pricier on Amazon than in the store, but then the convenience wins. And the next I, yeah. domino stone for me was clothing, where I, I, I enjoy going to shops, but then someone helps you and you don't like the fit of something. You try another thing. And then, you just leave with this bad feeling like, oh, this person spent 20 minutes helping me and I'm not giving anything back. Yeah. And well, you're supposed to get good customers, a customer service and a customer experience, right? Like, uh, but yeah. more often and, than and, not, you don't. And, yeah. and what's worse for me is if you come back, if you've bought something before, then you come back to the store, they recognize you. They're too excited. <laughs> they want to have a relationship. And you're like, I just want to browse. I don't want to feel any pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then you, you discover the sending back thing. And I don't know, like, I was always, I remember starting leaning in very heavy to the digital and everybody's like, oh, I would never do that. And now, mm. you know, everyone's screen addicted. And yeah. Well, it's interesting because like 10 years I started working at FreshBooks, uh, you know, we were accounting software, you know, which is, you know, software every business eventually And needs. everybody said, oh, you need that personal touch. You can't do that yourself. Well, what they said was like, no, no, you, you have to go to like a business depot or office depot or something like that, Staples, and you go and buy it off the shelf. Like you can't compete unless you're on the what, shelf. What, what was the major uh, desktop accounting software? It was like Intuit's QuickBooks or Intuit Quicken or yeah. any of those things, right? And so, you know, the idea back then was most software was sold on a shelf at Staples, which is, you know, kind of crazy. And I remember us having this like position, like we will never sell on the shelf because like... That's not the future, you know, and also yeah. it's extremely expensive because you have to buy then, your way onto the shelf. Yeah, and then people are like, no, people only trust bigger companies that are at Walmart and not some anonymous website that you give all your financial data and those yeah, kind exactly. of arguments. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff, like the trust equation and everything. Well, and so and actually, it, it, I remember that is, we a, put, that yeah. is a real concern. It's like, oh, that's a lot of information oh, no, no, that's on yeah. someone else's server. 
that was a known problem for us though. But then we just put like customer service, like humans in front of everything. And we put little locks on everything, right? And we said like, hey, just give us a call, right? And then we said we'd pick up in one ring if you called. And we did. And people were like, whoa, wait, this is a company and they're real humans and the humans are friendly and knowledgeable. That's better than my Office Depot experience, right? That's better than my Staples experience. And so it worked really well for us. Um, and that's why you saw a lot of companies invest in customer service for the internet, right? Why did they do that? Because customer service in person at most you know, places was actually worse than what we could create you know, via the internet, which I found quite, I still find quite hilarious. And most people still, I'll see complaints because I study the topic a little bit. If you see, you know, like troll, like take your favorite brand and search for them on Twitter or like do it like a review for Trustpilot or something like that. Usually it's a customer service complaint. Like I tried to, I had an issue with my product. I tried to call the company. I couldn't get in touch with anyone or I got handed off to different yeah, people. Yeah, it's very infuriating. Yeah, and that, but that problem, like some companies have figured out how to solve, and that alone, like that's the last barrier, right? Like, um, and yeah, and uh, the, what's interesting is that a lot of companies will cut back on that. They think like, oh, that's a place where we can have some consider more margin. a cost center, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then the companies that are most successful actually invest in that heavily. Yeah, the best example I can think of is Patagonia, where it's like. You know, they've done it in store. Like, you should try, try and yeah, replicate like what they Yeah, like free shoulder did. massage with every T-shirt. Well, or like, no matter what happens to your stuff, you can bring it back, we'll repair it, right? Like, it's a lifetime warranty means for your whole life, you know? Yeah, and it turns out when people like going to the store and don't feel pressure to buy something, they might buy more. Yeah, exactly. They've done very well financially. Well, yeah, we, we went car browsing. Uh, we went to four different dealers, and we were already, like, our defenses were up. We're like, oh, car dealers, they're the sleaziest salespeople. Yeah. Uh, they're going to throw every trick in the book and pressure you and whatever. That's right. And it turned out they kind of modernized. They were all kind of casuals. <laughs> no, it's totally cool. Just chill. Maybe that's because yeah. they have to compete against Tesla. Like, I ordered my, I literally ordered my car on my phone, which I, yeah. I still find quite bizarre to this day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Is it still running okay? It's running great. Yeah. 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 Now they have customer service issues, but I haven't had any problems. Like when you have a problem with your car, they send someone to your house. You don't take it to their garage. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Because I wanted to have something installed in my car. So they sent someone. I heard the the battery has less range in the winter. Sure. Yeah. A little bit less range, but you just charge it more. Yeah. Anyway. Do you you um, have a charger at home? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. That's why we, we didn't get a Tesla, because we just don't have a parking spot. I know, I know. Route. I don't mean to make you feel bad about not having a Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, let's get back to your thing, which is, like, you know, tech just had a, an epic year. Why was that during the pandemic, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And, um, you know, what happened during the pandemic? Well, you know, people were left to their own resources. They were in their own homes. And so... Yeah, they spent money on their homes, but they also spent money on the experiences they could have. And the experiences they could have happened to be digital experiences, right? So they yeah. bought laptops, phones, I, I want to go back one step before we talk about that. I feel like any sci-fi movie, they always, whenever there's an apocalyptic moment, the yeah. network goes down. They always pretend the internet goes down. And I remember... Uh, like Skynet. Yeah, I remember starting with digital art and people like, well, what are you going to do when the, when the electricity is not working? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and the then the, the funny thing in lockdown is like, what's the one thing that held us together? It was the internet. It wasn't like the internet broke down. It's actually the thing that worked best. The toilet paper was hard, <laughs> but yeah. getting email was fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there were, there were times I remember early on when Zoom, 
if you're following the story behind the scenes, Zoom was like, our, we had like 10,000% growth. Our servers like were buckling <laughs> at the seams. Like we couldn't scale up fast enough. And I don't know if you you were on early Zoom calls, but there were more like kind of glitches early in the pandemic. Yeah, I'm lucky that, that I don't saw. have to do so much Zoom. And they did. They saw ex- huge explosive growth. And then they recently, I think, bought like a payroll company or something. Like they've started buying some weird companies because they have to sustain the growth that they yeah. that they had during the pandemic first for their stock, right? Um, I wonder investors. has their usage dropped or they've become the de facto tool? No, no. Yeah, they're this the, the de facto tool. I mean, Google Meet, I think, is also used. We use both at, at work, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think the other big news for me in the last. Um, week or so as I decided to, to to change jobs. And I think it's interesting. Yeah, interesting relative. After 11 years, after 11 years, I'm going to start a new company. Um, and what's interesting about it, though, I think is it's a company that wouldn't have existed 10 years ago when I started. It's a company that exists to support more co- like other companies like FreshBooks or the one I worked at, but basically support startups. And Actually, e-commerce, the way they got their start but it's, was... it's not a venture capital company. It's anti-venture capital, It's specific, but it started out as a capital company. Like, So if you needed money to scale your e-com business, specifically if you needed to buy like Facebook ads. So this is like, it's like, think of like there's a big stack of like other software companies that needed to exist before this company. Um, so say you needed like, you know, a million dollars to buy Facebook ads because you, you know, you're making some revenue, but you just couldn't afford enough to buy ads to scale your revenue. This company, which is called Clear uh, Co., was called Clear Bank, comes in and says, okay, well, we'll, we'll let you, um, we'll give you the money, you know, based on the data that we have, because you just plugged in Shopify into our app. And so we can see all the data and we're smart enough to look at you versus other people that we've lent money to. And so we're just going to take a percentage of your sales, you know, until you pay back the loan and then, you know, tack on a little bit, like 6% on top. And this was kind of like a big deal, um, apparently, because people were used to spending either way too much through the banks, like in terms of interest, like way more than 6%. If you needed like a million dollars, you couldn't go to your bank and ask for like a 6% uh, loan, nor would you get the loan because the bank would be like, for what? For Facebook ads? Um, And the other thing is um, you didn't, a lot of people would raise money by giving away equity in their company. So you'd start a company and be like, well, I need like, you know, I need, I need, I need a hundred thousand dollars to scale this up. And an investor would be like, great, give me 10% of your company or something, which is absurd, right? Because like later down the road, that's a very expensive hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Money begets money. But what I think is more important, more, more interesting about this company. And the reason I'm excited to go work there is just that there, you know, the whole thing is there's so many tech companies now. And the, the slogan of the company is by founders for founders that there are companies now that exist solely to serve all of the tech companies. The same it's way the picks Amazon... And shovels. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, if you look at Amazon, right, their main business is actually not Amazon Retail. It's not the website, Amazon.com. It's Amazon AWS. It's their the cloud service. services yeah. company. It's the service for the other startups. <laughs> and yeah. that those are the, those well, are the it's, big it's platforms. Just, these are just all, like, if you just look at your daily life and you say, like, okay, 20 years ago... For how many things in life did I use the computer and now? And yeah. then it's really obvious. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. You, you're on your phone more than you look out the window. So yeah. it's very valuable. Yeah. But think about that in perspective, though. Like we started this talk talking about like going into a store or buying 
software off the shelf at a computer store, a state or business center. Cardboard box. Yeah. And now we're and you know, now we're talking about like companies that have built platforms to serve thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions. Like the goal at our company is to serve over a million startups. It's just absurd, right? Like so everything I've often argued that tech is culture, right? There's like actually no distinction between the two. And it's a dangerous thing to say because then you say like, well, culture is capital, but actually yeah. not necessarily. And then necessarily. you start measuring culture by its profits. Yeah, exactly. And and then that's where I think though there's an interesting conversation to be had. I'm reminded of, um, do you know the artist Silvio LaRusso? No. He's an Italian artist. I have his book here. He wrote a little book called Everyone is an Entrepreneur, Nobody is Safe. And uh, he had this concept called the Entreprecariat, but like, this was a few years ago. That's I hosted a good him at a residency. Yeah. Well, his his feeling was like we were heading toward a world in which it was being broadly ad- advertised to us culturally that we should all start a startup, that we should all engage in entrepreneurship. Um, it's the the hustle culture. Hustle economy, hustle culture. And that was, you know, this was a few years ago. So it's like you were saying, like where people are like, nah, it's never going to happen. Um, but really, that is exactly... <laughs> what has happened and i'm actually not negative about it because i think um you know it's how it's 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 how you choose to be an entrepreneur or how you choose to grow a business. yeah it's um, it's a fine line when the, the, you're doing uh gig work and the the employer calls you an entrepreneur but you only have one employer well, well that's just it so i don't think client. that that yeah. the gig work thing is a total race to the bottom race to the top would be I, like i'm fuck, confused yeah. sometimes though because i you know i listen to Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, and they all talk about how bad the app economy is for its workers. Yeah. And then I'll take Ubers, and I constantly speak to Uber drivers who are super happy. It's like, these are my own hours. I don't have to be in an office. I come from another country, and I could never get a job that pays me 85000 a year without my... Yeah. And I don't know. I, I also speak to people who are like, this is really bad for my body. I'm sitting eight hours a day. I can't take bathroom breaks. So... I hear both sides of the uh, coin. No, yeah. I don't think you... I actually think you almost have to go company by company. Like, if you look at Amazon, which is the largest employer in America, I think, now. Um, yeah, just they, surpassed they, Walmart. Yeah, and they, they, I think they churn through, meaning they, like, actually hire and fire, like, over half a million people a year. I think McDonald's always had that philosophy, so people don't unionize. Yeah, well, in fact, they went, you know, they tried to unionize this year, but Amazon, like, staged this huge campaign against the unions, and they failed. But a, a friend of mine, or someone, an artist I was working with, worked in an Amazon like uh, fat, you know, a warehouse, and um, said that it was just like horrendous, you know, for the bodies of the people in those warehouses because they're tracked, you know, by cameras and robots by the second, and they're efficient. And that's why they want them to stay there briefly so they can't blame any injuries, long-term injuries on Amazon. They're like, oh, well, like you're I, only here for six months. Yeah, like I was on Reddit today and there was like one of the top posts was an image of the body in an and it was like a little poster in an Amazon warehouse and it said the number of injuries and by by section of the body it was like arm injuries, head injuries, but like total injuries this month added up to like 137 in this particular mm. warehouse or something. And they're like days since last injury, zero. You know, it's like yeah. so people are getting injured every day. It's pretty horrendous. Yeah, it's I, it's it's wild that you think that they know so much with all their measurements and that they can't prevent that, but well, they can. I mean, and so can Uber. And their their goal is to actually remove labor from the equation. And that's, I think that's either the utopia or dystopia that we're heading for, right? Which is the um, yeah. frictionless, laborless 
world of yeah. like autonomous everything. If I human- had to, if I had to extrapolate our reality, I feel like the biggest problem of the future will be boredom. If if you or would extreme think, poverty, like it, no, but if you, if you if you could argue that technology could solve food and production of goods, that you know that's just and it's a race to the bottom with the price, like you could you could basically figure out like okay, everyone can have basic food in a big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they can build houses for cheap. I'm really extrapolating like a hundred years. I, I feel like a big part of uh, why people feel. I don't know. It's just my gut feeling that when people have nothing to do and they're just on their feed and absorbing stuff and the and the content is battling for your attention, so it gets more and more extreme. Like that to me, that's a really big issue. Yeah, well, I just think this ties back to your original comment, which is growth. So where does growth come from, right? Where does pro and it comes from profit? What is profit? Profit is the like ex- excess labor, like the excess. And this, by the way, the labor can be either extracted by efficiency or brute force. But in the case of Amazon, right, like more often than not, it's a mixture of both. Um, and it's 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 the excess greater than the amount you paid, right? So, you know, I paid you $2 to build this widget and I sold it for $4. The profit is $2. Hey, and I only used $2 worth of yeah. your labor in your body. But uh, yeah, the, the, I, th- I feel like the thing that's new, like, it seems to me that this labor in an Amazon warehouse is less risky than working in a coal mine in like maybe a hundred years ago, let's say. Yeah. So, so there's progress there, but the thing that's new is that you end up with like four companies making everything, period. Like I'm actually not, I'm, I would like to compare the coal mine stat actually, yeah. just because the COVID really kind of might have honed that in, like to the not, point Not where... today's coal mines, but the, the, the I'm just... I'm curious if labor has improved or, or gotten yeah, if labor worse conditions over have improved the, overall over the yeah. last hundred years. Because I think, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that that debate might be moot because that labor might not even exist in a in, you know within our lifetimes. Meaning, like, and and then I don't know what happens to that labor because I think what you'll have is a K-shaped world where yeah, there are there are the educated knowledge workers, and then there's actually a great number of poor that are displaced by robots. This is like a really like just I did it's a dystopian position but it's really hard not to but see. But what's, what, what's funny reality. is right it's now there's also laugh. No, no, but the, at the same time right now there's a huge shortage of workers. So, you know, the last 10 years have seen a lot of automation. Of service workers, of service workers now. Oh, there's not a shortage. I thought unemployment I I'm not an I'm an artist. Sorry. Yeah. I'm confused. No, no, but, that's cool. But um I'm curious. I, I'm just suspicious so, so no, of, like, of, yeah. of the attention economy veering to the negative because that's a, a easy sell, just like salt in fast food. Like you know. Yeah, but just to close sells. the loop on that on that comment I just made, just so, like it's not to make it. I'm not an economist either. Like, but just you know that we are talking about service. There is a huge shortage in in service labor because people still want to go to restaurants and hotels and you know, be served and everything we were talking about, people still want to be able to call and talk to a human. Like humans still want to consume other humans. I'm just saying like the physical labor of a human is dangerous, right? And, um, and, and does not function well, uh, in, in, in present conditions, right? Like people are getting hurt. 
um, people are being abused. Like that's just, and that's that goes back like hundreds of years, right? That type of labor. And so there's this tremendous pressure, like at the at Amazon to like make that robots instead, right? And then, I, but I don't know what happens once you displace that well, labor. Well, I, I, I think, as we said, we're not scientists, social scientists, yeah. we're not economists, whatever. We are artists, and I think the yeah. thing we contribute is our intuition. Yeah, sure. And we and can I, talk about it culturally speaking. Yeah, I think as well. but I think our intuition, and that's the thing with artists, is that um, we tend to have a lot of time to brood and to think and to fantasize. And so my intuition that in the long run, boredom is going to become a really serious issue to the point where people, that the attention economy will sort of spiral out of control. Would you argue potentially that that just happened, like the pandemic was a preview? Because you have these people... Yeah, yeah. I think think the whole Trump phenomenon is is an example of boredom. It's like, Mm -hmm. well... Everything sucks. I'm bored. Let's just get the craziest shit in here. Yeah. Or like, you know, I can't go out and spend money in the experience economy. Like I can't go to Malibu with my friends, but I can. Oh, that's 100%. Yeah. Like the travel industry is huge. When you cut that off, then where does that money go? Yeah. But I mean, I wonder also whether like NFTs and that kind of the collectibles craze that happened with the you know NBA Top Shot stuff and everything. Yeah, like well, not only that. Here, here's Hood. an example. When when the when the lockdown started, I remember really you know people were buying canned food like this is going to be street war. This is going to be Mad Max world. People just scrunching for food and shooting each other for toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you would I think see videos. On the podcast. You, you would see videos on the internet of people fighting in at Walmart over a roll of toilet paper. You're like, that's it. This is the end. The that's collapse it. of the over, system. Yeah. Factories are closed, no more production, this is it, this is the it. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't that bad, but that that kind of, you know, we weren't... But it turns out people went home, they're like, I can't get the toilet paper at Walmart yeah. anymore, but I can, but, like, click this link and get it. But, but I was really looking at my bank account, my savings, even my mm-hmm. retirement savings, I'm like, okay, I strategize, okay, I'll be okay for this period of time, da da Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what you just don't predict, and that's the thing of abstract extrapolating towards dystopia that you're always wrong what what turns out for art like my galleries would turn out to be great especially in in a place like amsterdam and tokyo it's like no one could travel so they didn't Mm -hmm. do art fairs so they didn't have to pay the stupid art fair booths yeah and they sold more because the art collectors were stuck in the netherlands they couldn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. and they bought locally they started supporting local artists more because they couldn't go to paris or london and they wanted and to decorate their homes and upgrade their homes. They want to, or, or support culture. Or, you know, the, the, you have the 5000 a year that you might put in vacation with your family. And then this year, des- you decide to buy an artwork. And that's just the funny thing. Like, we always think things are going to go bad and the future is scary. And then it turns out, like, oh, when you don't have to pay the art fair tax and people buy locally, yeah. it's better margins, it's better for us, and et cetera. And, like, who would have thought? And so that's the thing that I constantly struggle, like this this constant negative barrage of the news and predicting like, oh, Amazon is going to destroy everything and the robots is going to uh, burn out our eyeballs and whatever. And then... I think the only point I was trying to make, though, I think relative to that, because I, I, I largely agree, but I think the pandemic left a whole bunch of people behind as well. I mean, statistically speaking, yeah. like not, not everyone got to 
you benefit from the upsides that yeah you maybe I'm, I'm in, in such a privileged bubble that I think oh everything's great yeah well they no they because they, I think they referred to it as this kind of k-shaped recovery yeah so yeah yeah, you know, yeah and the the wealthy got a lot wealthier in that in that on under those conditions and the poor got you know just you know sunk even further there is a labor shortage now though that I think people are saying like actually maybe there's hope you know because, the, yeah the, um, the idea with the labor shortage is that people can get better offers from employers and make more demands and yeah but that also is incumbent on a big bet like the big bet is that things will return to normal right um like that because those people are hiring back service workers that's what they're hiring back they're not just like hiring back randos they're saying like our restaurant's open we need because i I was talking to um someone that owned a coffee shop and i was like hey how was the pandemic they're like it was a nightmare um Mm. and but we you know of course we let everyone go um, and now though, we can't get anyone to come back. Like no one even wants to come back because they're like, yep. I don't want your shitty job. I'm getting more from like, you know, the government and I'm, I've gone back to school and I've done this other thing. I don't want to work. Yeah. In, good for know, them. Coffee shop, you know? So then, you know, it's that kind coffee of a, shop has to a UBI experiment. Out. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't know universally what the effects of that will be. Yeah. Um, but how, that'll last. how about for you personally? Cause I know working remotely was quite heavy psychologically and and how do you see the future uh, wh- what future would you like for yourself work-wise well, it's funny yeah i'll just be really transparent like just before getting on this call similar to you like um i think probably a year ago or so i start you know or we've talked about it on the podcast chris and i were like maybe we should buy like a bigger place like if we're going to be working from home like you know we need an office space and then we're like well maybe we could just redesign the space that we have and then at one point i literally was looking at buying like another condo across the street <laughs> like to be like a separate office space and i was like this is absurd like now i'm buying office real estate like you know re- everyone really is an entrepreneur to the point where they're also buying commercial real estate for themselves well that that part of the work from home and and the employer is not paying you more for the use of your home that is really well, i was like bizarre i was like wait me. a second like i'm not getting paid four hundred thousand dollars more no you know, you know so to buy this to buy like commercial real estate it's absurd like i'm really hoping that i can i can go back and re-consume that subsidy that I used to consume. Like, I took it for granted. The idea, actually, of going to the office, most people thought it was like a, a drag. Oh, i got to go to the office. It was actually a tremendous subsidy. It's What's like, the real drag? Is it working in your pajamas? Well, like, no, but having free workspace, you yeah. know, and catered lunches, hey, that's not that bad, actually. Those perks were, were pretty good. And I wasn't yeah, like... Especially in the tech world. Yeah. When you live in a small home, yeah, it's an encroachment. And then, and then people who have kids, and it's just like... But how how is great. your your barometer among your coworkers? How many like working from home? And um, I think everyone says you can't compare, like because the kids are around. Like you you want you want to separate remote work from the pandemic because concept of remote work, which is better work life balance, where they could be like in the office when they needed to be, but otherwise work from home. Everyone seems to want to be able to do that as long as their kids aren't around. This seems to be like the universal that I'm hearing. So when, when the schools were closed for COVID, that was nearly, yeah, would drive people kids, insane. Yeah. Cause the kids need, you needed to help them with their lessons and like you needed to keep them yeah. entertained and everything, but you still needed to like be on your meeting. And but let's everything. say this, that, that the schools are working. It, it, it seems like it's going to be a hybrid model for most people. Yeah, I think there's going to be some kind of hybrid. I mean, a bunch of companies are saying remote only, but like the pre- the problem I'm already seeing is like people are in different time zones and 
like we're just trying to book like an all hands meeting and we have to like you know record it in in three to and make it available in different time zones at different and do it twice or you know um, yeah it's gonna be it's, weird when it's the, complicated. Half, half the people are in the office in the meeting and three are on screens and then you have a conversation for two hours but then you go get lunch with the people that were in the office and that's when you have the best ideas and yeah, I mean, the solutions aren't that complicated. People are already doing time zone clustering and they're doing forced interaction kind of vis- like you have to do Shopify has this thing right now where they force the employees to spend two weeks together, uh, um, I think it, once or twice a year, I can't remember. And you're allowed to choose anywhere. And the example they always use is like a Scottish castle or something like you could spend two weeks in a Scottish mm. castle, yeah, but you yeah, have yeah. to spend it in person with your team, two weeks of intense kind of yeah, yeah, intimacy. Yeah. That's um, kind of, it yeah. reminds me of BYOB, the whole idea of uh, yeah. the, the distributed exhibition, people get together and everybody kind of knows each other. It's like, oh, I love your Tumblr. I've seen you on Twitter. It's good to see you in person. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I mean with art sort of being an intuitive view into the future. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think. And, and, and so maybe, maybe that goes back to a conversation of what's the role of art and that. It is the testing of new ideas that are unpractical, but that turn out to become mainstream later. So is your argument, in a way, like everything that happened during the pandemic was stuff that artists were experimenting with already? Like, you know, the artist was already yeah, maybe it's, nomadic. It's, it's, it may be specific to me that I always worked from home. Uh, I, I worked with people remotely, uh, yeah. with programmers or production of physical works. And yep. so I felt quite ready for it. But there's a ton of artists who... And you were already already working almost as an entrepreneur. Well, yeah, but but I think artists also are, are used to solitude and isolation as a part of the creative process. No, no, I think you're making a really good point, and one that we're still trying to escape, like the trappings of the industrial revolution. We still have this belief that you know a company needs to exist at this like massive scale, and somehow ima- we imagine like a thousand people getting along really well, even though that like at that scale. That problem is like so gargantuan. Yeah, try renting a video with four people. Yeah, and, and that's why you know even just you know before the pandemic and throughout the pandemic, but before you remember the big scandals that the big tech companies were, you know, various unions were forming inside of like Google, and there were factions of people that were fighting over like social justice issues and things like that because they couldn't they they didn't even have a shared ideology anymore, right? Like. Mm. Um, at that scale, it was really hard to hold the fabric of a company together. And you can either look at a company as like a cult or you can look at it as like a town or or city or village. But in no city like mandates that everyone think and act the same way. It's, right? it's so. interesting because in the crypto age, you're thinking in a decentralized manner. And yeah. so I just did the art blocks thing and someone on Twitter DM'd me who had bid on one of my works on foundation and he's like hey you make generative work have you tried art blocks it's like yeah. oh i know some people there email this person and then i reach out to them and then he's like well hit me up on discord oh what's discord and then da, da, da. Yeah, yeah and then everybody's anonymous everybody has weird names and one person is in the east coast another person is in europe and it, it, what you're talking about like having the classic company, you go to lunch, you see, you meet yeah. everybody, but here it's you're dead. in this, yeah, I, and here you're in dead. this in this <laughs> environment where you have to build trust somehow, like, oh, I'm going to give you, 
information about me and you're going to know things about me and can I trust you? You're not going to use it for bad. Yeah. And there's it, two pieces of there's two but, pieces of evidence yeah. I'll share, but but, but the, the open the it's it's just like thinking towards the Wikipedia model, the open source, yeah. the shared uh, activities, the yeah. hive mind, all those things, and it can, yeah. you know it cuts both ways. But 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 here's the, the the crazy thing: like there are two trends I'm seeing. Like so, one is the number of friends I have that are now referring to themselves as fractional employees. So they'll say like I'm a fractional fractional CMO or fractional researcher, meaning they they take their week and they work for several companies in that week as if it was. How's like, that different from a freelancer? Because they're actually employed by those companies. Oh, okay. You know, so the idea is like this company is going to employ three days of my week. This company is going to employ two days. It of my reminds week. me or, of of Dutch public television. Uh, it's very hard to explain, but we have we used to have one channel and now there's three. You know. <laughs> Yeah. But each channel has like, well, Wednesday from 11 to 3 is the Labor Party Broadcasting Company. Yeah. And then after 3, it's the Progressive Protestant Network. And then it's the Catholic Network. And everybody has these time slots. And so there's all these organizations sharing the channel. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of a fascinating trend that I'm seeing, and whether or not it persists, because maybe it yeah. will be too stressful. The other thing that I've been talking about for a few years, because there's someone handed me this book a few years ago called like Reinventing uh, Scale Ups, but it was about like scaling companies and like exactly what you've been describing, which is like what would a networked company look like, and there are a few examples. Actually, one of the biggest ones I think I've talked about on the podcast is in the Netherlands. It's a nursing company. And what they do, what they've done is they've said, okay, um, we're going to allow um, nurses to exist in small clustered teams of like five to eight people in geographies, and they will own that geography and they can manage it however they like. Because, and they're going to go door to door to interact with their customer, like the patient. And then they'll share with other nodes, like successes from their experiments. Yeah, but, but the think whole of the company trust issues is, there. It's crazy. I, but trust is extremely high in these types of organizations. Yeah. And then the way the CEO communicates with that, that nursing group is via a blog. There's no direct mm. instruction. There's only like guidelines for how we yeah, operate. Yeah, yeah. And then like thought leadership on behalf of the CEO yeah. in a blog, which I thought I find like fascinating because what I just described to you is almost like the serpentine gallery or something. But like it, it, like, it's, yeah, it's interesting to circle it back to art because of course I look around in the, NFT space, and sometimes you're like, "Oh, this work is interesting. I want to buy it." And you immediately also want to know, "Is this person sincere? Are they in it for the long haul, or do they just are they just going to do this for one day?" And when you live in the decentralized mind space, and so you don't have MoMA to tell you yeah. this artist is important for the rest right. of eternity. Yeah, yeah. That, this, yeah. It, does it just become a popularity contest, or are there pockets of niches of certain tastemakers or that's i think it's a it's a giant leap mentally well i i think so but i i'm there's a like another business theory guy named lalu and he has this thing on like business as ecology and again like in art we always talk about ecology actually it's kind of weird but in business is like new concept but like one of the lines that i love uh reciting i don't know if it's exactly this but it's like in a forest like the pine tree doesn't ask the maple tree how to grow you know, it like, or if it can use the sunshine, 
or can I have some of your water, right? Like, yeah, it's just um, natural. It just, yeah, it just, it balances out naturally. Well, it's, um, it, you could say it balances out. You could also say it's just war. It's just constant war for energy. Yeah, you're right. It could, <laughs> it could be the opposite. There's that famous uh, Werner yeah. Herzog video where he's in the jungle and he's like, there's no harmony, it's just carnage. I think that's the ultimate counter argument, right? Yeah, which is like, actually it's what I just like described. It's like the libertarian the, extreme. Yeah, it's the libertarian extreme of like the yeah. American free will and free spirit. Yeah, yeah, like you only have peace if everyone has a gun, that kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Lalu, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what, what he was trying to argue against was the autocratic mode of, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution. You know, remember in factories, they used to have those... I don't know if you've been in an old factory, but there's often like an elevated building inside the factory with windows all around. The little where, office like, upstairs? Where the, yeah, where the foreman could look down and supervise all the workers from up high. Well, you, could, you, know? you could shoot the workers that were having lunch for too long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like that's the Amazon, you know, like I now. Um, you know, the opposite would be like some kind of cottage industries world where... You know, there used to be this thing where they would distribute the labor out to all of villagers, right? And then it would come back to a central hub. And I yeah. think we're in this tension now. I think my, my I always found it interesting you know. that all the tech startups make their uh, offices kind of look like daycare. There's like lots of toys around, lots of soft <laughs> soft things to sit on, and like there's laundry, there's all the food in the world. It just feels like a place for toddlers, and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I think the idea that they're like a talk, like having an autocratic, like in tech, there's this concept that even came out of like Zappos called holacracy, which was the idea that like having any kind of hierarchy, but remember Google had this as well, but hierarchy was considered antithetical to, to speed. Old fashioned. Yeah. yeah, it's old fashioned. And, you know, some, there's, and there's a truth to that. Yeah, there's a certain truth. There's also been some things, experiments that have gone terribly wrong, of course. Right. And like, you definitely don't want to just like set men loose among. <laughs> anyway, I won't we'll go into all the like the sexual harassment stuff that went, that went wrong, because it probably wasn't because of that. But like, because I'm not saying that these are like utopic workspaces, because there's been tons of like social issues is what I'm kind of trying to get at. So you can't just like let people just kind of like roam wild in a an organization without rules. Well, the only way things run well as if jeremy runs this and calls the shots <laughs> no exactly like there can't be i don't know i i don't actually have a position on this but i think it's if we're gonna circle our wagons back around art tech and tech having grown a lot in this last year it grew into a more distributed mode of 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 work right like we can definitely state that and that that's closer to how artists were working which i yeah. think is your point um, and that was enabled by technology, ultimately, um, but also by yeah. an ideology, which was like, we trust you to work independent of the factory. This yeah. is very, it's all very interesting. And it, we, we tend to think that art has a higher purpose beyond economy. So that, you know, the, the Billboard 100 is just decided in popularity and one week it's Britney Spears and the other week it's uh, Chief Keef and uh, whatever the, the the crowd decides. And art has always had this different approach of experts decide instead of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And now if we're moving to the NFT world and... and um, the crowd decides again. The crowd decides somewhat, but it's still... You have to have money to vote and it's bigger amounts than just uh, streaming something on Spotify. That's more democratic. 
Yeah, but, this seems but, to but, be a but, cyclical but, thing. Though. But, but I just want to circle back. I'm very excited now about my Artblocks project and seeing the aftermarket, not the amounts, but just the crowd deciding on a very abstract project what mm. is the most interesting of all these compositions. So and this I made, being... This isn't the fir- the primary, the secondary market, or like in the secondary people- market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it because when the, when people, so it's it's an algorithm that generated a thousand compositions, but the first buyers, the first round, they wouldn't see what they would buy. They would just hit the buy now button, and then the work would generate. Yeah. And so after phase one, the thousand compositions are generated, and then people start trading them. And so there's this weird uh, hive mind experiment of of taste. So. People are now deciding what is the most, and that has happened with collecting of paintings forever. Yeah, like people will decide which Jackson Pollock is the one. Like, and did can I ask a question? Do yeah. you decide like the the thousand that get made, or is the algorithm no. deciding? Well, I set parameters, uh, yeah. you know, together with my programmer, and so okay. we set parameters of frequency. But the now, final outcome was was yeah. based on the hash of the transaction. But this is interesting because you're actually, acting like, yeah. It, but in, in this case, we, there was a limiter that would only allow one buyer to buy one work. So a buyer couldn't buy multiple works. Interesting. No, I only think, I think it's really interesting what we talk about in, in regards to like, you know, Amazon wanting to remove a certain amount of labor. But in your case, like you're collaborating then with the computer algorithm yeah. and then, but with the audience as well, because what you're saying yeah. is the audience is going to determine the optimization terms of you know market dynamics right yeah and i i think there's this ultimate thing that uh software hasn't been able to figure out taste or curation as well as humans i don't know if at some point software will be better at it but so i don't know if with machine learning you could go through all the abstract compositions Mm. and tie it to market prices and, and the computer could figure out what's the most valuable one yeah the thing about taste is um it tends to be the, you know, you talked about gatekeepers. Taste is probably the most gatekept um, domain, right? Like of the last of ever, ever, right? Like because even in Victorian times, right? Like the way the one way that you held the working class down was by shifting taste, like even how you speak, right? Um, yeah, to yeah, make yeah. sure it was easy to tell who was poor from who was rich because you knew what was in oh, style. I, I think know? in the last hundred and fifty years of art history. You know, the, the classic idea before photography, it's like who could paint the most realistic was the best artist. Yeah. And after that, it was almost like who could paint worse? And then the general audience be like, would, would laugh at it and say, this is so stupid. My brother can do that. My my little kid can do that. And then the the rich people be like, nah, the worse it looks, the more expensive it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, fashion exists solely so that you can create some um, division between those that can afford to update their wardrobes. And no, those it's not just that. That's too I'm just saying. Like, it's, it also exists for the reason of boredom. I think boredom is a big driving force. Well, who, does, of cap- who, does boredom, who does boredom belong to, though? You know. No, but I mean, boredom is like, oh, I've been wearing this shirt for a year. I think I need a new one. It's not broken. You're just bored of it. Mm. Like okay. everyone has seen me in this, so it makes me a boring person. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I mean, it, it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to wear one sweater for 10 years. Well, it worked for Paul Rubens or <laughs> for Steve Jobs. Paul Rubens yeah. being Pee Wee Herman. Mm. But, um, oh, yeah. yeah, or me <laughs> wearing one, one turtleneck. Yeah, but it, you don't, do, do you, I mean, there's, there's people who 
want to remove decision making as much as they can so they can focus on their work and you know they wear this yeah do you wear the same outfit every day just in normal life no no i don't i i i do i do um agree with you in regards to novelty and fashion but often i also have anxiety about like you know do i not look do i not look like contemporary like the idea of looking contemporary is like a social pressure to a certain yeah. extent yeah, yeah. otherwise it's a big it's mystery they like yeah. You, you buy jeans of a certain kind and all of a sudden you're like, oh, these are kind of tight. I don't think I'm supposed to wear yeah, these yeah, t- yeah, kind exactly. of tight jeans this year. Yeah, but I can still and, remember. And, like, and how does that percolate? And Yeah, it's a big mystery. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know if we if we need to wrap this up or if we've drifted yeah, too far. Uh, we, we have a field recording. Do we? Yeah, from uh, my friend Momo. I don't even know his regular name he he's a muralist he makes big abstract oh, he, murals you should keep that name it's a great name i mean yeah. anytime you can well, get two syllables I, th- like I think he came from uh, he probably hates the word but he came from street art projects but kind of more conceptual and then grew into these very elaborate uh, skillful murals abstract but strange ways of using the brush and the roller and he's a loyal listener and he's always been someone with the uh, very few attachments because it just does murals all over the world. But him and his partner, they bought a plot of land in Panama and uh, are building a house there. I think it's still affordable and he surfs a lot. It seems like he has a great setup for life. So we're going to listen to the sounds of Panama. That's awesome. Hey, okay. I I have so much to talk about in terms of surf. I want to start surfing, but that's a topic for maybe another day. Yeah. Uh, Maybe next podcast. Someone send us a surfing question. (laughs) All right, from web surfing to uh, wave right, surfing. Yeah, thanks, Momo. Bye bye. everyone. Bye.